1: Talk Plain Talk unrivaled talk Mike Graham the only radio show you can count on for a
3: proper serving of good old fashioned common sense in search of the perfect debate the independent republic of Mike Graham the home
4: of common sense talk radio and talk tv Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We are back in this Tuesday morning. It's a beautiful day. Spring has indeed sprung. We've got lots to talk about this morning, not least... Uh, we have to kick off with a whole bunch of things that happened overnight. To wit, uh, exactly how feral has our society become, exactly how feral are the youth in our society as well. We're going to be talking uh, about a horrible murder up in the northeast of England committed by a 14-year-old teenage boy with a knife after he was attacked by a bunch of other kids uh, who were intent on beating him up the question is going to be asked, why do we have such a knife culture in this country? Why uh, do the social services seem to have no way of preventing these horrible attacks? And why can the police not stop so many of our children from carrying knives to school. We're hearing from the uh, government today they want to crack down on zombie knives. They want to crack down on those horrible machetes that people seem to be carrying around and waving at each other in the streets of our country. But what is the point? It's already illegal to wave a machete at somebody. How are you going to outlaw them exactly? We're going to talk about that. Ben Habib joins us up first. He's a former MEP, of course. Much to do with him as well about what's going on in the European Union. Much to do with him uh, as well about the snow last night uh, where some maniac from Just Stop Oil decided to jump up on the snooker table and completely and utterly ruin it. I mean, snooker, love it or hate it, I mean, it's not really something that causes huge emotions, is it? Most people basically just think it's either quite interesting or a bit boring. The point about snooker is it's not very controversial. This bozo from Just Stop Oil, funded by the way by Dale Vince, so I may have to have words with him about this, decides to jump up on the table and spray a load of sort of orange powder all over the place in full view of the people watching, in full view of the television audience of course as well. We'll also be finding out what's going on exactly up in Scotland uh, where the SNP's treasurer appears to have been arrested as a result of the investigations that are ongoing into the party's finances. Uh, that doesn't look great does it for the SNP? Also we're going to talk to Susan Hall uh, from the London Assembly about Sadiq Khan uh, who could face a high court challenge over his expansion of the ULEZ zone. Also his latest rather ludicrous Ducris claim uh, that if you uh, have cleaner air, your sperm count will go up. Really? First I've heard of it. Laura Dodsworth is here as well, of course. She's going to be talking to us about the Brecon Beacons. Uh, She'll also talk about why health bosses have scrapped the word alcoholic. And we'll also be asking why the Arsenal players are so hopeless at interacting with their young fans. We've got a video to show you on that front, of course, as well. Also, the big story of the day, Quiche Lorraine. Get it? Uh, This is the new uh, Coronation Quiche. It was coronation chicken back in the 1950s when the queen was made the queen. But now we're gonna get King Charles in May and he's unveiled the official food of the coronation uh, is a quiche. Now, I've got no problem with quiche. There was a time when they said, real men don't eat quiche. That was in the past. I don't mind quiche. Everybody has a view of it. We're gonna be getting your views of it as well, of course. What I would do, though, uh, is make it non-vegetarian, as they say in the old Indian restaurants, because at the moment, it's got tarragon, uh, it's got broad beans, and it's got some other green thing like spinach in it, right? But no meat. Put some ham in it, for heaven's sake. Put some meat on the bones. Put some hair on your chest, you know, all that sort of thing. Can we say all those things anymore? I have no idea. 0344 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Oh, also, by the way, Jeremy Corbyn has joined in with the uh, cataclysmic uh, criticism of Keir Starmer, uh, saying that basically Keir Starmer's claims that the pair were never friends is primary school stuff. Well, he should know, I suppose. The former Labour leader, blocked from running as a party candidate in Islington North, uh, said that he was always seen Sir Keir as a colleague when they worked together. But he's also said that the controversial social media campaign, those attack ads that they put out against Rishi Sunak, uh, are basically bad news all round. So, you know, when you start thinking that maybe Jeremy Corbyn uh, is right, you do wonder who on earth is running the Labour Party, don't you? If Keir Starmer now looks worse than uh, Jeremy Corbyn, which he's beginning to do, that ain't good news for anybody in the Labour Party. Let's talk to Ben Habib, who is, of course, a former MEP. Uh, ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I suppose Thank we you. should kick off with um, uh, Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn now calling Starmer um, a colleague and saying it's primary school stuff to pretend that they were friends and then not friends. Uh, but more importantly, I think, and, and you're still in the political uh, mix right now, um, these attack ads that started before I went away and are now kind of, you know, Labour's, I guess, uh, signature uh, to attack Rishi Sunak to accuse him of things that he's not guilty of to, to 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 basically smear him. I don't think it is a good idea for them.
1: No, well, certainly the first attack ad claiming that Rishi Sunak didn't want to lock up paedophiles, convicted paedophiles, mm. is completely inaccurate below the belt and has no place in any civilized discourse and i think that that is bound to have played against the labor party and we can see actually the gap between the labor party and the conservative party in the polls is narrowing it used to be in the 20s it's now in the teens and um the personal popularity ratings of rishi sunak seem to be rising as well against keir starmer who has until recently tried to paint himself as the kind of boring steady pair of hands But Rishi's also trying to paint himself as a boring, steady pair of hands. And so it's a it's a sort of vying of, uh, you know, these two people for uh, competence, you know, to be seen as uh, steady and calm. But these ads do not add to an air of steady and calm, at least as far as the Labour Party is concerned. They, you know, they're, um, they're they're hyperbolic, aren't they? They're going to the extreme in order to try and illustrate a point, whatever that point is. And it's I don't think it's going to work. I do think it's completely right and appropriate to hold Sunak responsible for printing £500 billion worth of cash, borrowing that amount of money when he was chancellor, breaking supply chains, causing inflation, failing to get ahead of the public sector, strikes. All those things are legitimate uh, complaints made about the Conservative government and Rishi Sunak personally. But to go after him in that way over, you know, his... uh, uh, what can only be described as wrongly claiming he doesn't want to lock up paedophiles, I think diminishes Keir Starmer's standing and the Labour Party's standing, and it's not going to help them. Well, it seems bizarre to me
4: to spend, you know, years and years and years, and he's spoken about this, you know, Getting the Labour Party out of the sort of gutter of, of the accusations about anti-Semitism, out of the gutter of, of you know, left wing militant nastiness um, to suddenly then turn around and say, I'm the safe pair of hands. And here's what I'm going to do with that safe pair of hands. I'm going to start telling <laughs> lies
1: and, and attacking people
4: uh, about over things that, that, that are really very unfair.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's another one of those episodes where the electorate are rightly looking at our politicians and rolling their eyes and thinking are these guys really in charge of running the country you know no wonder we're in such dire straits Mm. they're prepared to sink to such pathetic childish levels in order to attack each other they've got to stay above the fray they've got to deal with the policy issues that really matter for the country deal with the big issues stop being ridiculous you know this is sort of playground childish stuff
4: which does bring us back to the crime conversation because there's no question, I think you and I have spoken about this before, in London at the moment uh, you've got a pretty good chance if you get your phone out somebody's going to drive past you on a scooter or a, a moped and steal it from you um, you know there's a pretty good chance if you've got a nice watch on somebody's going to rip it off your wrist and run off with it. Um, crime in this country is out of control. Uh, we've seen a terrible story up in the northeast of England where a 14 year old boy named Leighton Amies um, has been sentenced to prison for murder after he got involved in a scrap with an Another gang of kids um somebody ended up getting stabbed he was the guy with the knife you know we've got an epidemic here of teenage kind of awfulness and you look at this picture of this kid and you just think in some ways he's a baby face killer in some ways he's a ghastly individual but in other ways part of you as a father anyway for me starts to go how could it have come to
1: this you know where are his parents does he have any parents and what are the social services doing yeah, well, it, it's it's tragic. First and foremost, it's tragic, isn't it, that this is happening, particularly that it's happening to such young people? Yeah. Um, but it is symptomatic, I think, of a much bigger problem the country faces, which is a breakdown of our institutions and the, our institutions actually recognising what is important for them to be tackling. And we just talked about these ads that uh, Starmer's put out. Starmer would be better advised to focus on these kinds of issues. Right. And, you know, As far as crime itself is concerned, you're absolutely right to say that it's getting out of control across the board. Petty crime, antisocial behavior, violent crime, burglaries, everything is up over the last few years. Mm. Part of that, I suppose, can be put down to challenging economic times. You know, when going gets tough, people will resort to whatever means they can to support themselves. So, you know, the economy deteriorating has its own direct impact on it. But part of it, as I mentioned, is institutions not really having a grip of what's important. And in this case, obviously, the various police forces across across the United Kingdom. The Met, we know, is in the crosshairs of being blamed for misogyny, homophobia, racism, um, and at the same time, funny enough, trying to virtue signal through championing all these uh, woke minority, ostensible minority interest that Sadiq Khan keeps to, you know, keeps wanting to bang on about, yeah. and forgetting the big obligation that they have, which is to control crime. We don't want police officers to be liked. We want police officers to be respected. Mm. We want people to understand that when they see a police officer, they should desist from whatever malpractice or antisocial behaviour or crime they were thinking of committing at the time that you know he. Walk down the street, he or she walked down the street. And um we've lost sight of that, I think, as a society. And this is where I'm digressing slightly, but I think it is pertinent. This is where woke is so dangerous. Yeah. Because in the championing of all these ostensibly these minority rights, what happens is the interests of the majority are trampled. And we see it with you know with crime. So in the pursuit of wanting you know, ethnic minority police officers to be patrolling ethnic minority areas of London. Actually, we've lost sight of the fact that that's not the issue. The issue is that the police officers have to uh, enforce the law and prevent crime from being, being committed. And if you look at the charging rates, it's abysmal. You know, out of a hundred uh, serious crimes that are committed, only seven people are charged mm. and only half of those are, uh, 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 sorry, uh, only seven people are arrested and only half of them are charged. And then you get a conviction rate of around 2% of all crimes. That is pathetic, isn't it? Well, it is. That is pathetic. Because
4: also, apparently, what happens to an awful lot of these cases is that you turn up in court to face those charges... And the barristers from the, the, the Crown haven't made it in uh, because either they're working from home uh, or they're too busy or they haven't been able to get there. Or they're, on and, or they're on strike. Or they're on strike. And the case is dismissed. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got yeah. a great... I mean, if you're a criminal right now, and I said this to somebody at the weekend, you've got a great chance of having a fantastic life in this country. You know, the, the hardest hit people in this country are law-abiding taxpayers because all that happens is you get absolutely shtucked at every turn. But if you're a criminal, you've got a pretty good chance of not only getting away with your crime, but getting away without paying any of your taxes... Uh, You can do as much as you like criminal-wise because you've got a pretty good chance of never being caught. And if you are caught, a really good chance of never going to prison.
1: And you've hit the nail on the head. And what's happening here is would-be criminals and criminals are being emboldened by the prospect that they will not be charged, will not be arrested, charged, or even if they are, won't be convicted. And when you get a breakdown in the belief that you will be held to account, when that belief is broken then you have the beginnings of a lawless society. You can never, by the way, have enough police officers on the beat. You can never have enough. No. What you've got to have is confidence. that would-be criminals have to be confident that if they commit crimes, they will be arrested. And that's a very fine balance, isn't it? To keep that confidence going in society, in society. And that's what's been broken down. And we have to be very, very careful about where that ends up.
4: Absolutely right, because looking at this case up in the northeast, as I say, uh, where Tomasz Olizak was the victim and Later namies was the perpetrator of the murder, um, you know, you're not going to tell me that, you know, the usual rules of, well, if only they had more youth clubs, that would make a difference. It's not about ping-pong tables, is it? There's a lot more to it than that. No.
1: Well, this is serious knife crime and someone got killed. Yeah. You know, this is as serious as it gets. Um, and uh you know i think it is a real problem and of course associated with all of this is and i without wishing to bang an old drum but i think it is again important is you know this massive incoming of people across the channel whom we do not know anything about could be criminals could be terrorists could be whatever we've just got no idea you know the reason we have border control is so we can assess who is coming into the country and whether they should be allowed into the country or Mm. not And we've got thousands of people, Mike, coming into the country every month of whom we know nothing. And many of whom hold this country and its values in, uh, you know, antipathetically. And that is... That is unacceptable. It is. I mean, the French
4: have managed to get themselves together to the point where, when I was leaving France, they wanted to stamp my passport to make sure that I was going. You know, they don't (laughs) manage to do anything like that. Why don't they set up a passport control section on the Normandy beaches? And maybe they could then actually get some people to reveal who they were before they jump in the dinghy and come to see us. But we'll come back to that. Ben, stay where you are, because we've got to talk about uh, a bunch of stuff, including, of course, the Coronation Quiche, including a Just Stop Oil, and including... Much else besides. This is Talk TV.
3: On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
4: Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got to talk about the big story of the day, Ben, which is, of course, uh, the coronation quiche. I don't know what you make of uh, a move from coronation chicken, uh, which has become one of those great sort of British staples, to coronation quiche, which doesn't appear to have any meat in it. I'm going to suggest perhaps that we put a bit of ham in it.
1: <laughs> well this is another clear big issue of today. it really is um yeah and you know let's try and ascribe this to woke, should we this is the abolition of traditional british majority held view that we should have coronation chicken right to coronation quiche which presumably because it only includes uh vegetables and are chickens regarded as very highly polluting like cows i don't think they are i mean can you imagine the fuss if If coronation chicken had been coronation lamb or coronation something else, my goodness. Coronation cow, that, that rings, quite, that yeah. rolls off. Well, this is the thing, well you know,
4: the creeping there. sort of uh, <laughs> vegan scenario. I mean, having just spent a week in France where, uh, one, they've never even heard of vegan people at all, and they don't have any, <laughs> uh, if you ask them where the vegetable uh, section is, they point you to where the vegetables are. That's it. There is no vegetarian section in any, in any of the supermarkets, you know, they just eat meat. But, I mean, it does tell you quite a bit about where King Charles is kind of setting his stall, doesn't it? It does. That he's got this, it you does. know, it's got tarragon, it's got spinach, uh, and it's got uh, broad beans in it but no bloody ham <laughs> you
1: know quite i mean it is I, I suppose it is representative of king charles's views and you know he wants this coronation to be more inclusive more diverse yeah but i don't think he's a vegetarian i mean
4: apparently he likes things filled with eggs and cheese which which is great news for for anybody that wants to go along it's with that chuck an egg
1: at him. but you know i'm pretty sure he's
4: not a vegetarian why is he pretending that he is
1: yeah, well, I mean, that is part of the issue, isn't it, Mike? That a lot of these people who are on that side of the debate wish to be seen to be all things woke. Yeah. And I suppose being vegan is another example of virtue signaling and being part of that brigade. Yes. And it rings, you know, works well with all of it. And it is sad that our monarch um, is prepared to allow himself to be hijacked in that way. And I thought that his. His, uh, again, his preparedness to have the history of the royal family, its an involvement, and this is a serious issue, by the way, mm. have its involvement in the slave trade investigated yeah. absolutely serves no purpose. I don't know why he would do that. No. Um, there's not a nation in the world that hasn't been complicit in slave trading at some point or another. Yeah.
4: And all it does is give sort of succor and comfort. To the nutters, you know, the people who go, oh, well, uh, you know, let's go delving back into history. I mean, Esther Krakow's great on this. She's like, I'm looking forward to my share of the of the winnings. You know, she's like a young black woman living in Britain. She's like, when am I getting my share? You know, she doesn't care about the slavery, but she just wants the money, you know, with her tongue firmly in her cheek. But but it's ludicrous. It's like renaming the Brecon it Beacons is. because they think that Beacon has some kind of resonance
1: with setting fire to something. You know, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It, it is incredible. And we're we're slowly having our language hijacked. And that that is dangerous because it allows the debate to be skewed. If you control the language, you control the debate. And what people are doing is using the control of language, the changing use of language, to ultimately undermine our self-belief, undermine our belief in the values that we held in this country, our heritage and our history. And so it is a great shame that the church and King Charles are prepared to to, you know, bend the knee to yeah. this uh, a, attack on the country and open themselves up to what will only be continued attack. And as you say, give succor to people who want to attack our country. The one the the, the, the church, uh, I pr- sort of brought a smile to my face when the church thought 100 million pounds would absolve itself of any involvement in the slave trade in the 19th and earlier centuries. Because you know, of all the institutions in the country that actually could do something um, about what happened in the past, they, they, you know, they've got this great optionality where they can pray for the souls of those who suffered. But instead, they've decided to use money as their means. And it kind of suggests to you that Justin Welby doesn't even believe in God, because if you genuinely believed in God and if you genuinely believed in the church, you wouldn't use money. You'd use that privileged position you have, the connection you have with God to pray for the redemption of all those people that have suffered. Yeah. And um, I think the problem it strikes for, uh, me as very odd.
4: The problem for Archbishop Welby is that he does believe in God, but the trouble is he thinks he's God, you know, so he thinks he <laughs> can come out and tell us all how we should be behaving and which way we should vote. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah. God doesn't even come into it. But let's talk about things that we should be talking about, such as the NHS. This morning, uh, a story in the Daily Mail in which it says the NHS waiting list is now bigger than the entire population of Denmark.
1: Well, I mean, and it is—it's it. Uh, it's over—it's seven over seven million yeah. and rising. And that was one of the five uh, key pledges that Rishi Sunak made in January this year, for mm. 2023, that he would get waiting lists reducing. There is no chance of that. By the way, I don't think he's got any serious prospect of, of any of those five pledges that he made in January coming true, with the exception of inflation dropping, which yes. just happens with the. inflation. nothing time. to do with him. It's got nothing to do with him. <laughs> it's the central bank raising interest rates, bringing the country potentially into recession. Um, but he's got no chance of debt reducing or the economy growing in any meaningful way or stopping the boat or reducing waiting lists. And of course, you know, with the Royal College of Nurses now back on strike, with the junior doctors still on strike, yeah. with other strikes brewing, there's no way he's gonna tackle this problem. It's just gonna get worse, not better. So, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, Starmer should be attacking these issues. He should be holding the Prime Minister to account on the five pages he made, including reducing waiting lists on the NHS.
4: And also, should Starmer not be condemning these junior doctors? Because, again, news today, more than 196,000 hospital appointments had to be cancelled because of their strike last week. I can't understand how people who have signed, literally signed the Hippocratic Oath, to first do no harm can allow this to go on. And their justification seems to be, oh, well, people are dying all the time in the NHS. Well, that's not really something you should be proud of, is it?
1: I, I, you know, I agree. As as you know, Mike, I have a lot of sympathy for public sector workers who over a period of 10, 13 years under this Conservative government have actually seen their wages shrink in real terms quite considerably and pay more tax Mm. on diminished wages. So, you know, in principle, my sympathy is with those who the working in middle classes who've carried the burden of our economy over 13 years of Conservative Party mismanagement. But uh, at some point, the doctors, the nurses, public sector workers at large need to take what's on the table and move on. I think they can go on protesting and they can go on perhaps having the odd strike here and there in order to make their protest uh, meaningful. But the country now needs to move forward for all our benefits, including their own benefit. People need to get back to work. We're in a really difficult state at the moment. I know we didn't go into recession as the OBR had predicted in the first quarter of this year, but we're flirting with recession. Government debt is still rising, and we're not gonna get out of this hole unless the country can start working. Yeah. The government's making not making it easier by raising taxes on people, deterring people from uh, uh, from investing in the United Kingdom, literally making it impossible for it to pay to work. But we have to rise above the government. Mm. We've got to actually put the United Kingdom first, something Rishi Sunak doesn't do, by the way. But we, the people, have to put the United Kingdom first. And we do now need to really put our shoulders behind UK PLC and get, get, get yeah, the country absolutely right.
4: On. But the trouble is, an awful lot of these people who are currently on strike, for whatever reason, in whichever sector of the public sector they're on strike against... They don't really like Britain very much. They're always running it down. They're always saying uh, that it's broken, that the Tory party have broken Britain. Well, I'll tell you what, the NHS is broken, but the NHS broke it because they didn't run it properly and they shut it down for practically two years during COVID. Uh,
1: and that, that is a serious issue. And I think, um, you know, if Rishi Sunak was being honest about how these problems arose, they wouldn't keep talking about Ukraine war being the problem. The problem here is lockdowns, lockdowns which broke supply chains, broke the labour market and printed 500 billion pounds worth of new money that the government borrowed to lock Mm. us up in our homes. These are the problems that Rishi Sunak is squarely responsible for as chancellor. And these are the problems he needs to now fix and he needs to get on with fixing them. He does. Good to talk to you, Ben. Thanks very much indeed. Ben Habib, former MEP, of
4: course they're talking about a great many things, including uh, what Rishi Sunak should be getting on with, and including what Uh, Keir Starmer should really be getting on with because they'll be back tomorrow, of course, for Prime Minister's questions, the first session after the Easter break. How about this from Roger? Mike, forgive me, but with the Coronation chicken or quiche debate, couldn't they have come up with something that's an English and not a French dish with regard to quiche? And Kev the Red says, Mike, my old mum made a lovely quiche back in the 50s and 60s. Trouble is, we called it cheese and egg flan. I remember that. used to have it at school. Uh, Sometimes had ham in it, sometimes not. Bet there'll be a shortage of the French version in all the supermarkets at the end of the month. We'll be talking about the recipe, about whether you're going to make it, whether quiche is in fact a suitable um, nom de plume, if you like, for this country and the state it's in, without any meat. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do and uh, plenty of time to do it in, by the way. Susan Hall's going to join us in a moment. We're going to talk about Just Stop Oil uh, emptying a pa- packet of orange powder. I don't know what was in it, but presumably it was vegan and uh, non-oil-related powder. Uh, but they basically ruined the snooker table. I mean, you can't find a more, uh, I would say, un-controversial sort of, um, sport than snooker. I mean, basically, people used to say, when I used to do a show on Talk Sport, we used to have arguments about whether it could actually be called a sport if you wore long trousers and shoes while you were doing it. Um, some people say, well, cricketers play uh, in long trousers and shoes. Yeah, but they're white. You know, if you could basically play a sport in the clothes you've gone to work in, is it really a sport? But Just Stop Oil, what they've done is they've managed to completely wreck a perfectly, uh, sort of, you know, just innocent endeavour by some people trying to have some fun uh, and trying to have, some kind of sport going on. We'll come back to that. Uh, first, we're going to go to Scotland. David Walker is here, political reporter at the Scottish Daily Express, because Colin Beattie, the SNP's treasurer, is the latest to have his collar felt by the police investigating the party's finances. Uh, he was arrested this morning, um, but we shall see uh, what that leads to. Uh, David, what can you tell us? Very good morning to you. Hey, good morning.
2: Well, it seems like every day I start work these days, another SNP has been. <laughs> I think he's been arrested. Right. Um, obviously it's, it's, a, it's another huge development in this seemingly never ending case of alleged SMB fraud. Mm. Um he's obviously a sitting MSP which makes it worse because he's, he's he, well, he's he's still a Holarude, which is a huge problem for Hamza Yusuf now because he's Hamza's refused to um suspend Nicholas Studge, he's, he's refused to suspend Peter Murrow. Will he finally suspect suspend Colin Beattie who has been a treasure for S for I think it's twenty years he's been treasure for, no. so he knows where the alleged bodies are buried, I suppose.
4: Right. Yeah, he can't very well say, "Well, it wasn't me in charge then," so I don't know what they're talking about because he was in charge.
2: Yeah, he's, he's been he's been in charge during basically the entire thing, except for like a three month period when another treasurer took over. But then he quit because he couldn't get access to the books. Mm. So did he get access to the books over during his time as treasurer? I think the police officers seem to suspect he did, and he's now been arrested and we'll see if he's actually charged. Right. So obviously Peter Morrow was arrested last week or two weeks ago, but he wasn't charged. Right. And, so, and so the investigation, goes. I guess,
4: goes on. and Obviously, we can't say too much about that, but it must be an odd time to be living in Scotland, as, as I did many years ago, uh, with a sort of government which is somewhat amoebic, I suppose you might say. Uh, they can't really do anything at the moment. They're kind of paralysed, aren't
2: they? I mean, this whole year has been absolutely very, very strange working as a politics journalist in Scotland because Nicola Sturgeon, he has been the stalwart of politics for like eight nine years mm. she quit um for purposes that we don't know about yet apparently but then now you've to go over now two srp figures being arrested they could be going bankrupt what, what what other country in the world is a political party is the scottish government could go bankrupt it's it's wild wild times of politics in Scotland. Yeah.
4: I mean, exciting, I suppose, but, but not terribly reassuring. David, thank you very much indeed. David Walker there, political reporter at the Scottish Daily Express, with the news that uh, the SNP treasurer Colin Beatty is the latest person from the Scottish National Party to be arrested by the police uh, as they continue to investigate the party's finances. Absolutely unbelievable stuff. It makes Sadiq Khan look quite competent, really. But who better to ask that question to than Susan Hall, uh, the, of course, leader uh, of the Tory party in the London Assembly. Susan, very good morning to you.
5: Good morning. How are you? I'm
4: very well indeed. I'm um, absolutely uh, packed to the gunnels with ideas about what else to put into the quiche, as opposed to just having it as a vegetarian quiche. I fancy, <laughs> I fancy throwing some ham in. I don't know if you're going to make a quiche for coronation quiche, are you?
5: Well, I was all for putting meat in until you said it put hairs on your chest. but so I thought, well, I'll go without
4: <laughs> that then. <laughs> in the manner of speaking, obviously, probably not allowed to say obviously. that anymore. Um, but is, I mean, I'm not expecting you to give me a chapter reverse verse on the SNP. But, you know, they do make uh, Sadiq Khan's local government in London actually look quite competent.
5: I don't think anything makes a difference. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> I mean, he's just about the worst of the lot. He's even worse. Yeah, he
4: really is. And I mean, he's had a bit of a setback, hasn't he? Since I was away in France, I find that uh, you know a high court has decided that it might have been unlawful. Uh, for him to expand the ulo zone in the way that he did it we wait to see what what uh, uh, the, the judgment will be on that later on in the year but even more bizarrely i saw yesterday he was claiming that um, uh, he needs to make the air cleaner in london in order to up everybody's sperm count
5: i know it it reeks of desperation doesn't it and i it think he's he he missed the whole idea of us taking him to court because obviously I, my home borough is harrow and so we're one of the boroughs have um, called upon this Mm. Uh, and and now he's going to have to face up to it but when you look at the consultation he he ordered the cameras before the consultation was finished if you look at how he dealt with the consultation it was completely incorrect so it's going to be very interesting to see what the court says and then to see his reaction to it after that I mean we all think he should stop the whole thing completely. But if he's not prepared to do that, he should postpone it and put it in his manifesto and see what Londoners make of it and see if they vote for it. Yeah,
4: but I mean, I presume as usual, he's sort of, you know, fending off all uh, criticisms of his policy and then any sensible individual would go, well, maybe we should reconsider. I mean, even Andy Burnham up in Manchester reconsidered the congestion charge. when I mean, enough people said, we don't really want this at the moment. We're all struggling with the cost of living. He doesn't seem to care that nobody wants it.
5: He's so arrogant, I don't think he believes it. He, he listens to his advisers, very few of them. I mean, nobody even in his office seemed to like him. Mm. Uh, he just doesn't listen to anybody. He, he wants to do this. He's got a book coming out, so whether that includes anything that he's doing or done, mm. I don't know. I haven't seen, I don't really want to see the book, but let's see what that says in there, whether that's got anything to do with his absolute determination to put this hell to us all. Outer Londoners do not want the Eulers and he is not listening.
4: I can't believe he's going to be a bestseller can you? I mean, you know, Mayor rhymes with spare, but I don't know whether it's going to have any of those kind of revelations that Harry gave us. (laughs) Hope not.
5: (laughs) I should imagine it's about as boring as uh, spare but (laughs) no no doubt we will talk about it when it comes out. Uh, out Absolutely.
4: Absolutely right. Uh, And and so, you know, the fight goes on. London continues to be. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the government saying today they want to crack down on the sale of these zombie knives and and machetes and things. And we do see more and more of that kind of crime on the streets of London. We saw, I think, a story last week that said, you know, whatever you do, don't take your phone out on the streets of London because it's more than likely somebody will try and snatch it away from you. You know, if you're wearing an expensive watch, don't wear it in London. It's becoming ridiculous with crime, isn't it?
5: it is and it's very worrying and it should be worrying to absolutely everybody i mean that the one thing we should all feel is safe and we are feeling less and less safe on our streets and Mm. yet we've got more police officers in london uh, certainly than we've ever had
4: yeah so i mean mean so what's what's the problem then
5: Well, I think we need to really explore more why these kids carry these knives. Mm. I'm a massive supporter of Stop and Search, always have been. Of course, Sadiq Khan flapped over that all the time when he first came in. Um, So many people talking about others' rights. But uh, but there's no doubt Stop and Search takes knives off the streets. We've got to do that. But I'm very pleased to hear Chris Philp this morning saying that they're going to be stronger on the ability to buy them online. I mean it's just crazy. Yeah. But also got to look into Mike, why do these kids do it? What what is making them do this? It, it, because if we don't sort that out, if we don't come to some conclusions on that, it just won't get better.
4: Well, that horrible story from the north of England um, was in the news this morning where a, a boy of 15 has been sentenced to prison for murder, a murder he committed when he was 14, by the way, uh, late in Amy's. And it's as a result of, you know, he may, you know, it would be wrong to say he's an innocent uh, sort of uh, bystander, but he was attacked first and he kind of fought back and ended up stabbing one of the people that was trying to attack him. But you wonder when you see these stories, you know, what leads these kids to have these kinds of lives? You know, where are the parents? What are the social services doing?
5: Well, exactly. And I don't think parents are mentioned enough in this. At the end of the day, if you bring a child into this world, you must not only teach them to do the normal things, you must teach them what is right and what is wrong. Mm. And and I'm afraid there is more and more wrong. I was talking to a barrister the other day um, and he had just been defending somebody who, for murder and the, the the child or the the boy went into prison mm. and the, the the lad said that he felt happier then because he then got structure to his life and he felt better about things because he knew how things then were. Right. And you think, God, what, what puts people into that position to end up murdering people and then happier because they're in prison because they feel safer? Yeah. There's something gone very, very wrong and yeah. we all, We've all got to play a part in putting it right yeah
4: and i mean the local councils obviously have a role to play local councils continually tell us that that they haven't got enough money i mean you operate in in one of the biggest i suppose local councils of all the the london assembly um what is the problem with the money because there's no there's no shortage of money I mean, everybody's council tax has gone up you know what are we getting for it well
5: i mean yes you may well ask i mean there, there's <laughs> there's so many answers to that mike that's the problem and I would start, first of all, looking at carers and parents. You you need to know what your children are, you need all your young people are, you need to know what they're doing. Um, and we need to take it from there. We also need to give uh, courts the abilities to give out better sentences. Yeah. Um, the times you talk to police officers, they go to great lengths to arrest somebody, only to then find that um, they get off with a sort of slap wrist. I mean, that's no good to any of us.
4: No. No, there's got to be better deterrence, there's got to be, because it's not just about, you can't have police on every street corner seeing absolutely everything, but there has to be some form of retribution. People must (laughs) now not want to get involved in stabbing others because they'll end up in prison for a long time, but that doesn't happen.
5: No, you're completely right, and until the deterrent is sorted out properly, I don't think we'll get very far Mm. anyway.
4: No, exactly right. Susan, good to talk to you, thanks very much indeed. We'll have to get you into the studio, back on Plank of the Week at some point as well. Hall, uh, leader of the City Hall Conservative Party, of course, chairman as well of the Police and Crime Committee, uh, with the latest news from Sadiq Khan uh, that if you get the air cleaner and you get rid of all the air pollution in London, not only will you save 4,000 lives, uh, brackets one, um, you will also have a higher sperm count, according to him. Brilliant. Well done, Sadiq. Uh, I wonder if he's going to make a coronation quiche before uh, the big day in May. It'll all be covered live right here, of course, on Talk TV. More coming up, including your calls. Uh, This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
3: On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
4: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is Tuesday, of course, so I'm delighted to say that we are joined very, very shortly, almost imminently, in fact, by Laura Dodsworth, who's here. Very good morning to you, Laura. We've got lots to talk about, but just before we do that, let's have a quick look at this... um, Arsenal video that's been doing the rounds this morning. It's had an awful lot of views because people can't quite believe what they're seeing. Um, Millions and millions of views it's had. And basically it's a a, a mascot of the team, a little girl who's um, very, very proudly holding out an Arsenal shirt and the players are being asked to sign it. Not one of them, looks at her in the eye not one of them has any interplay with her at all they literally sign the shirt and move on now some people are saying oh well you should have seen what they did later you know they spent the day with her they did all sorts of things but in this particular clip which Arsenal have put out themselves it doesn't make them look very good it makes them look like out of touch overpaid you know cosseted individuals I mean not one of them even you know pats her on the head or looks her in the eye or shows any kind of interest in who she is and what she's doing. It's literally like they're all automatons making a million pounds a minute uh, and they're just walking out to get into their Lamborghinis to drive off, which I think is unfortunate. Some people think that's unfair. Sorry, if you want to defend them, I don't think you can because I don't care what they did later. You're signing something for a little girl. It's a shirt that she's going to treasure and may even be worth quite a lot of money, but not one of them looks at her while they do it, and I think that's a shame. Laura's here. Very good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, I don't often have a go at people for for things which might be taken out of context. But I mean, it doesn't look good, does it?
6: No, it doesn't. I mean, I, I haven't seen the context of that either, and you know I don't follow football. But I think there's just there is a general trend in society where people are not as polite as they used to be. In fact, it's more than that. I think they're less humane. And yeah. you know that I'm going to beat the lockdown drum. I think what that did, what that did was turn people against each yeah. other. You know, we were all biohazards, and somehow in that process, people lost. They lost their manners, yeah. they lost their care. You know, people are very angry out and about and they ignore each other. Yeah. Nothing's the And you the can't same. do that. You can't stand mm.
4: there. You know, you mustn't, you know, come anywhere near me. And all yeah. this kind of nonsense.
6: Life's very computer says no. Yeah. People aren't as interested in each other. Something's changed. And I, I think quite a lot, actually, about how we get it back, about mm. what's gone wrong and how we get it back. That video sums it up, actually. I think
4: it does. Because, you know, it's all very well having a shirt signed by people. But imagine if you're her, you know, 10 years later and say, well, you know, they all signed the shirt, but actually none of them said anything to me. Yes, yeah, And what, how hard would it have been to just say, I mean, I'm sure they know her name if she's a regular mascot. Jane, Janet, whatever. You know, hey, how you doing? Sign eye it, contact. look at her. Just eye Not contact. Not one of them's looking at her. Mm-hmm. And they're literally just you know, sort of doing it as if it's a chore. Not yeah. nice, I don't think. No. Not good. Anyway, let's talk about the Brecon Beacons.
6: Let's talk about the Brecon Beacons. Speaking I know, of that I are not know good. that you've already talked about it on this show. You'll have been all over it yesterday. Well, we broke the story. Did Obviously,
4: you? yes, as we do.
6: Well, I was just stunned when I read that the Brecon Beacons National Park is renaming. I'm going to struggle to say it in Welsh, but it's going to from now from now on, it's going to be called as Banal Brichiniog. Yes, not bad. Not That's bad. A, not a bad pronunciation. Not bad. Well, my dad lived in Wales for a long time, okay. so I'm used. I'm used to all the Welsh signs yes. and everything in English and Welsh. Now. There's, there's two kind of sides to this. There's reclaiming the original Welsh, Welsh language, but what they've also put, out, put alongside it as a parallel reason, yeah. in fact, in some places I've read this as the main reason, is that they don't think that the, the symbol of the beacon is consistent with net zero goals right. because it's, it's a brazier of burning wood. Yeah. Now, symbols are powerful. Of course they are. Yes. But the idea that changing this symbol will do anything to fight a climate emergency is ludicrous. And I put climate emergency mm. in, in inverted commas there. It's just, it's just a symbol. Yeah, It's just a symbol. Well, somebody pointed and
4: out to me yesterday that one of the other symbols in Wales is a fire-breathing dragon. Of course. Um, what, are and what are they, they going to do? With Slay that? the dragon? Maybe uh, they should
6: put a mask on its face. Good Drakeford, idea. Straight really yeah, white absolutely. masks. Yeah, absolutely.
4: And extinguish the fire, because obviously that would encourage... I mean, one of the more laughable things they said was it. they don't want to encourage people to have fires.
6: It's just absolute nonsense. Well, I mean, They're constantly treating people like idiots. Mm. Now, in theory, please don't jump on me, environmentalists, but in theory, burning wood is supposed to be... Carbon neutral. People, you know, go in different directions on this. But if it wasn't at least in theory carbon neutral, we wouldn't have this mad wave of biomass fuel, would we? That involves cutting down swathes of hardwood forest. So on one hand, biomass to power um country homes, and on the other hand, you can't have a picture of a beacon to promote a Welsh national park. I, I think it's you know it's another example of people who need their heads. Given a good wobble yes. in institutions and government, where they think they can just rename everything right. on the spur of the moment because it doesn't suit the, you know, the the issue du And jour. also, you
4: know, notwithstanding the fact that they're only in this particular job for a short period of time. I don't reckon that they've asked anybody. They haven't done any sort of local polling. You know, they haven't had a referendum as to whether they should change the name. And it's not really theirs to change, is it?
6: Well, they did have a consultation, but it included yeah, but we brand know. management consultation. Yeah, but we know what consultations like are that. like.
4: You know, that's what Sadiq Khan hides behind. Oh, yeah, we had a consultation. 80% of the people didn't want it, but we did it anyway.
6: Please don't raise my blood pressure by oh. mentioning Sadiq Khan's consultation. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there is that. And, and this whole renaming thing is just bonkers. You know, Haringey renamed Black Boy Lane to La Rose Lane. Yeah. That didn't go down very well, no. did it? And and if we're going to erase all mention of burning fire or fossil right. fuels, what, what's gonna to happen to Colville yes. or the Black Country? Blackburn. Blackburn. You know, the, these these things are part of our history. Yeah. You can't just pretend they never happened. And if the problem is burning stuff, well, what's gonna to happen to all the festivals like Candlemass or Bonfire Night? Or burning Man. Or the Festival of Light, Burning Man. Um Burns night. Yeah. You know what? Are we are we just not allowed to burn stuff? How about anymore? Burns
4: Unit? You can't even have that, can you? Presumably. <laughs>
6: it's, ju- it's just. It's just. Ridic- it it's I just ridiculous. I mean, I was ridiculous. having a conversation
4: with my sister the other night, and uh, who is similarly, um, you know, frustrated by the way the world has gone. And she lives in America, where you know they're having the same problems we're having with this whole kind of you know re issuing of the language and the new descriptions of things which are less accurate than the original descriptions you know and all of the mad woke stuff that's going on and you kind of go in and we were laughing about it because that's all you can really do but it's more serious than that isn't it
6: i think it is serious because this kind of linguistic appropriation isn't just about words it's about changing how you think it's a precursor to changing how you behave that's why it is the epitome of Orwellian 1984 yeah. madness. Right. I-, I tweeted And we're not
4: mad to say that either, because some people will say to you and to me, oh, why are you so bothered about it for? Well, in that case, why are you so bothered about changing it?
6: Of course, it means something. You know. It's it's a signal isn't it Yeah. I tweeted about this I asked people if they thought it was virtue signalling or if it's a good way to fight climate emergency just thought I'd ask but you know there is also another angle is it a good idea to change the name back to Welsh because yeah. it is Wales I mean I had hundreds of comments my favourite one was probably that it's peak insanity very thought, good yeah I thought that was good um, some people liked the change to the Welsh name but they didn't like this tenuous link to climate change it's right. not, there's not many people arguing that it's, it's a good way to fight climate change this was a good one as well Bath to be named four minute shower. Yes, absolutely right. <laughs> Very good.
4: Yeah. It yeah. is, but it is. Not even, a
6: power shower, though. There is no, there is no wastage. end to it. I
4: mean, another story that, that we can talk about is this um, scrapping of the word alcoholic. Yeah, I. What's that about?
6: It's interesting, isn't it? Well, I mean. There's another, another raft of guidance in the NHS, of course, about not calling alcoholics alcoholics, but calling them people who misuse alcohol. Same with drug addicts. You're not a drug addict. You're a person who misuses drugs. And, of course, guess what? Alongside this goes another raft of advice about using gender-neutral language. These right. aren't even men or women who misuse right. alcohol. They're people who but use But that, that means
4: that, actually, they're making it, again, less accurate because you're not necessarily misusing alcohol if you're an alcoholic. You're just drinking, aren't you?
6: Well, I think, you know... If this How was are you tru- misusing alcohol? If this was truly evidence-based and it worked, I could be more sympathetic to it, but I think it's part of a bigger trend. Right. First of all, there's this thing where we're not supposed to label anybody anything but all you end up doing is creating a new label albeit longer and really awkward but there's another thing you know the nhs has really been really shifting a lot more towards harm reduction and away from abstinence note that alcoholics anonymous is still called alcoholics anonymous Mm. you know there are some people who who say that addiction is a problem that you should eliminate you can't really reduce the harm i mean you shouldn't really aim to reduce the harm you should eliminate it but i think I think AA and abstinence is increasingly unpopular in the NHS. And I think that might be part of what this is about. I don't know if you remember, but at the end of last year, it was announced there was going to be a trial for alcoholics that they would get, alongside therapy, they'd get ketamine. Yeah, I kid you not. Ketamine. Ketamine. Horse tranquilizer. Yeah, and it is used, I think it is used as an anaesthetic for humans, maybe. Well, it's certainly being used in a trial Well, it's used
4: as an anaesthetic in a lot of nightclubs.
6: That's the thing, you know, it is actually a drug. It's a drug that people misuse. So instead of people taking alcohol... But this
4: is my point, they're not misusing the drug, they're taking the drug to do exactly what they want it to do, right? It's not misusing it.
6: Well, we're quibbling there about semantics. I think any use of ketamine is a misuse. I'm just going to come out yeah, and say not, I'm not but, in favour well, of legalisation I'm, I'm, I'm a bit or of a, normalisation of any of these yeah, drugs. Yeah,
4: no, and it's not about the drug, though. It's about the language, is what mm. I'm, which, which is what I'm about. You know, misusing alcohol is pouring it down the drain, as far well as I'm concerned. Drinking alcohol is what you're meant to do with it. Mm. So if you're an alcoholic, you're not misusing it. You're just not dealing with the drug that you're taking
6: well you you're there in a way there you're arguing for the kind of harm reduction argument now look all of us know alcoholics and drug addicts because there are so many you know it's it's a really common yeah illness choice whatever you want to call it i know people for whom aa has worked i don't know anybody for whom this kind of harm reduction model in the NHS has helped maybe I'm wrong maybe some NHS harm reduction professionals would like to call in and disagree maybe I'm wrong but I think this is another pointless rebranding when we talk about an alcoholic we all know what we're talking about I don't think there's any particular stigma or shame to using a term that effectively describes something right and you know alcoholics anonymous have not rebranded like I said what they do really works I think it's not popular because Abstinence isn't popular. You know, there's a kind of an idea pushed more and more that we should all get to choose, get to choose to do our class A drugs. They should be normalised. They should be legalised. Uh. Um, I think it's creating huge societal ills, from for my, no own, question. For, for my well, own opinion. Well, we've
4: been talking this morning about that terrible murder case up in um, the northeast of England where a 14-year-old boy stabbed another boy who was a teenager and has now been done for murder. And it's all about carrying knives, it's all about the drug culture, it's all about crime. Yeah. And that is affecting the entire country in one way or another.
6: I think drugs are literally epidemic proportions. Yeah, um, totally. My own sons have, have experienced being mugged with knives. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty dangerous out there, even in the new suburbs. I'm and much sorry, of it where is, I live. is
4: driven by drugs.
6: It's totally, yeah, totally. So, um, no, I'm not a big fan of this rebranding, but like I said, I think AA is a bit of a turn-off for people in the NHS because maybe because it works. Maybe it's a turn-off for pharmaceutical companies that don't get to push any more drugs. They're going to rebrand as nightclub class B drugs to therapeutic drugs. Um, And I think maybe the faith-based aspect of AA puts people off, but like I said, it works.
4: But there's another part to all this, isn't there, that they're trying to make the language less kind of negative, But by trying to do that, they're actually making it more negative because you're not describing what's going on.
6: Well, these are the very same people that don't like the words woman um, Mm. or mother in information about pregnant and breastfeeding women, you know? uh, From the people who gave you don't say mother, say chest feeder or person who gives birth... They're saying, don't say alcoholics, say person who misuses alcohol. So just on that basis alone, I'm sceptical. And they're certainly ruining language and making it really clunky. I mean, imagine if you were a person
4: with a cervix misusing alcohol. (laughs) What what would you possibly be able to say about that? Nothing. Uh, Um, Who is
6: also coincidentally at the same time chest feeding. Yeah, it becomes ridiculous. That is mad.
4: I'm told there's an urgent question being asked by Tobias Elwood. Are we seeing that or is it just going on? We're not seeing it, but he's going to apparently ask the Secretary of State for defence if he will make a statement on the leaking of top secret documents. Which is a big story this week, of course, as well. But meanwhile, talking of rebranding, what about Budweiser and Nike and all of that nonsense which happened when I was away?
6: Well, I think this is kind of good news. So um, a transgender star, Dylan Mulvaney, who became famous for his series of videos entitled 365 Days of Girlhood. Yes, here we we have a, a man who is not just parodying being a woman. I mean, obviously, he says he's... Transgender, he mm. says he's a trans woman. He's parodying being a girl. I find it really weird when I've looked at his videos. I'll be honest, I just find them creepy. Yeah. I don't like to see a man pretending to be a girl. The idea behind it is he's going through a second puberty in inverted commas. Doesn't he talk because about not getting his period
4: and all this kind of stuff?
6: Oh, I don't know. But, I mean, he's he's really become famous over here for all of these brand sponsorships which have been bestowed upon him since he's become a girl. So there he is with Bud Light. But he also got a Nike endorsement wearing a Nike bra and leggings. Now, as a woman, I mean, what would I know, though, Mike? I've just got nearly 18,500 days of being a woman under my belt, not 365 days of being a girl. When I saw him prance around in mm. a Nike sports bra, I thought it was really offensive. Yeah. And a lot you know, of women like, did as well. He's doing like kind of pretend chorus line high kicks, right. jigging around, looking silly, nearly falling over. And I thought, oh, is that, is that how we women look right. when we do sport? Right. Uh, uh, expletive, expletive, expletive. Yeah. It's outrageous to pretend to be a girl in yeah. a women's sports bra. Do you know, men's sports- sp- sponsorship deals hugely hugely outweigh women's sponsorship deals. I think women get something like 1% of sponsorship money in the US. It would be really nice, wouldn't it, if Nike wants to throw some money at somebody for sports bras to give it to an actual woman. Yeah. What about a woman athlete? Who actually wears they a bra. They don't get many sponsorship deals. Right. And they've given it to a man who says he's been a girl for 365 yeah. there's days. there's been a backlash, hasn't there, um, commercially? Huge backlash. Huge back- which back is, is also good,
4: because the backlash has meant that Budweiser have had to now put out a different ad um, which is sort of trying to justify the first ad, if you like, because they lost loads and loads of uh, of support, and they lost an awful lot of um, business, and they also their share price plummeted.
6: Well, you see, these brands are doing what their woke executives think, think the people want. And do you got to remember, you've got to remember, Mike, these woke executives know how people like you and I should be educated yeah, about social justice issues. of course issues. they do. They've also got these ESG ratings, you mm. know. They're supposed to be meeting certain standards of inclusive inclusivity. But they have to remember, this is not just about their boards and their executives. People buy products that drive share prices. Right. It's been a disaster for Bud. To do this, Right. and now they've released this new they've ad, just which new has got their Clydesdale which horses. Watching, yeah. It's you know, it's the epitome of patriotism, jingoistic even. And they're trying to reclaim what their beer is all about. I mean, this this ad was an example that the Dylan Mulvaney ad was an example of when your beer is warm, flat, and yeah. tastes disgusting. Yeah. This looks more like an American beer ad. It was the Blue it?
4: Coke problem, wasn't it? You remember those sort of marketing horror shows where new somebody Coke. decides to come up with a great idea. I know. Let's make. Coke blue instead of red. And everybody went, no thanks.
6: Yeah, but you know what was funny was all this glee mm. when the Nike and the Bud ads first came out. Jolion Morm, the um, the barrister, you'll know him. He's oh, what, the, the one fox who, killer? Yeah, he's the one who killed a yeah. fox wearing a In kimono his, his on Boxing kimono. Day. Yeah. He's defended us all from Brexit, that one. So he tweeted something about the Nike ad. No one knows better than huge consumer-facing brands what the future looks like. And what Nike is saying by choosing a trans woman ambassador is that the future is trans-inclusive. Hang on in there. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Now, this is a really poor argument from a barrister, as though big brands and as though advertising are in any way oracles for the future. New Coke, classic example you've just mentioned. Advertising is littered, littered throughout history and now still with racism, sexism and paedophilia. I mean, it's not very long ago since Balenciaga showed children holding teddy bears trussed up in BDSM yeah, gear.
4: Yeah, I remember that. It's, this but also, not very long doesn't ago. Doesn't this also show you what's gone wrong with the confused left in this country? Because Julian Warren uh, would definitely uh, identify as a lefty, right? A mm-hmm. lefty lawyer even, very possibly, because he was the same guy who joined forces with 119 other lawyers to say that they would not defend anyone who worked for an oil and gas company Uh, in a lawsuit of any kind because they're trying to kill the planet. But, yet, he would presumably defend uh, other people who might commit much, much worse crimes. But he, um, you would have thought, as a socialist or as a champagne socialist, wouldn't support a capitalist company like Budweiser. But here we are.
6: Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, on on the point of those 120 lawyers who said they wouldn't uh, prosecute climate activists yeah. well the whole point of this is that barristers must both defend and prosecute the cab rank system, exactly. you have to have it in order to uphold justice, mm. who are these special precious barristers who think they don't get to do one sort of thing they don't agree with, yeah. not that he would be so lucky as to be given such a case because he loses everything, he does. let's be honest yeah. Um, But no I mean this kind of bud ad which he loves is woke capitalism but woke capitalism is just capitalism with executives telling you how to think better. Mm. And it's it's all to do with them
4: trying to sell more items or you know widgets or whatever it is they're making and unfortunately for them on this occasion they got it wrong. So now they're having to reverse ferret at 100 miles an hour as we used to say in Fleet Street um, to try and recover the ground that they've now lost.
6: And I have to say, it's really put me off Nike because I I do wear Nike running gear and it did create this kind of emotional reaction Mm. in me where I thought, if you're going to put a really thin man who says he's a girl in a Nike bra, I don't think you're for me. You know, Sainsbury's do a good good line of running gear. I don't have to buy Nike. This has happened to me before. There was another underwear brand that featured a trans woman. And again, I just found it kind of off-putting. So yeah. I thought, if you're having to hide them from the waist down because you can't hide their penis in yeah. a tiny thong, I just, I just don't think you're for me. Also, I just, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't inspire me to buy the clothes. Yeah. It's not, it's not a good crossover in advertising to put male bodies in women's underwear. And
4: also, people don't need to have this kind of thing, <clears throat> you know, sort of paraded before them. If you like, you know, if you want to be trans, if you want to wear women's underwear, be my guest. But you don't have to advertise people. Who are men, Just in women's underwear. don't expect
6: do it to make women want to buy the bras. Yeah. And perhaps support women athletes who are really struggling for the yeah. sponsorship deals. Right. That would be nice of Nike.
4: Well, it would be. But, you know, um, go woke, go broke, as they say. And I think, and la- luckily, that's still the case.
6: Yeah, and it's glorious to see, you know, um, despite all their ESG imperatives, mm. what really drives their business and their profits is us, the people, they shouldn't forget it. Yeah,
4: they really shouldn't. I can't let you go without... Uh, Conversation about quiche Lorraine, as it's being called. All oh, right, get it? Um, yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. be coronation quiche for King Charles. It used to be coronation chicken, and this kind of tells you how we've gone from <laughs> there to here because oh, now we've no. got a is quiche. It it's
6: vegetarian, it's vegetarian. Oh, no. It's going to have
4: tarragon, which is not a great herb as far as I'm concerned. It's going to have spinach and it's going to have uh, uh, broad beans.
6: Oh, god, that's something I hate.
4: I would eat it if you put some ham in it.
6: Well, that looks like a pile of sick. I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm not a quiche fan. I'm really sorry for all the quiche lovers. You're not going to try just, and make no, one. No, God, no. I wouldn't make something I don't like. No, mm. no, I don't. I, I, I do. I do. Um, I do coronation chicken. I really right. like that. Well, you can
4: do coronation chicken. Yeah. But that was the that was the, the coronation chicken from the last coronation. Of course. If I was, that was having that
6: is. quiche, Lorraine, I'd be having it with a Bud Light. That's what that would go well with. Yes,
4: wouldn't it just? But it is kind of. Um, Significant, I think that, that 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 is now where we are. We've got but people are saying there's lard in the in the uh, in the pastry, but I don't know if that's true. In which case, that's, it's not vegetarian. But
6: that's so depressing. I know. You know, you've seen all the films of the Tudor banquets, Henry Henry yeah. VIII eating his um, sparrow in a quail, in a beast. chicken, in a right. in a duck, in a swan or whatever. Haven't right. times changed? I know. Haven't times changed? And he's
4: having to do this obviously because he thinks that that's what people expect of him.
6: Oh, I think he's really into it. But you know what? Enjoy your eggs while you can, because you know what they'll want you to eat at the next coronation? It'll be maggots on toast.
4: Well, somebody's already said, why not put some dried insects in it?
6: Ugh, I'm surprised they haven't. Perhaps they thought it was a mandible too far for this coronation. But, you know, for the next one, watch out.
4: Yeah, goodness me. Maybe Harry will bring some with him when he comes. But that will be that. Laura, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Laura Donsworth back with us next week, of course. Coming up, uh, we'll take some calls. We've got some urgent question coming uh, from Tobias Elwood about the security leak. Uh, also, we'll talk some more uh, about the coronation quiche. And much else besides. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Tuesday of course and the sky seems to have clouded over slightly but it is uh, a beautiful day it is April, it is of course time uh, to start welcoming spring and thinking about the coronation because the coronation is only a couple of weeks away now really because we're right in the middle, smack in the middle of April uh, and it's of course the weekend of May the 5th, we'll be bringing it to you live right here on Talk TV and today it was announced that there will be a coronation dish and that coronation dish will indeed be Peace. Lorraine, as it's being called, Uh, not quiche, Lorraine, you get it? L-E-R-E-I-G-N. And it's not going to be anything but a vegetarian quiche, although there is some lard in it, so apparently if you are particular about your vegetarian dishes, you may wish to substitute the lard. Recipes are appearing in all sorts of newspapers all over the place. We're about to speak to William Sitwell, uh, the Daily Telegraph's food critic, will get his idea of how we've moved from Coronation Chicken, uh, which is what the Queen supplied uh, back when she was uh, crowned, up to now, uh, 2023, uh, where we're having to eat quiche let them eat quiche there was a time when they said real men don't eat quiche but of course that's all changed now and uh, you can eat quiche even if you are a real man and even if you're not a real man or even if you're a real woman or not a real woman or even a non-binary individual let's find out from william sitwell what he makes of it all william a very good afternoon to you hi mike very very nice to see you um does this tell us anything about the change of culture in britain that we've gone from coronation chicken to um, a rather kind of green looking quiche, which apparently has broad beans, tarragon um, and some spinach in it.
3: I think it's uh, it reflects the the wisdom, the common sense approach of the king and his queen consort in not trying to um, you know, be too challenging, right. not try to uh, be too disruptive. Um, I mean, the thing is, coronation tri- chicken was an extraordinary dish. It was a dish. That reflected the, the sort of constant merging traditions of India, British cuisine, um, and it was a it was a piece of luck that mm. Constance Bry invented this dish um, that has then become so important and so useful at summer events and weddings and so on. I think to try and replicate something to try and be as ambitious as, as that would be very difficult. Um, the uh, you know the, remember the the Platinum Jubilee Trifle of last year or so which was a rather sort of sweet concoction that i a bit too complicated to to make and um i personally thought it was far too sugary yes this is a really good sensible idea it's not groundbreaking um what i think is great is it uses broad beans one of the most revolting of vegetables (laughs) whether or not the king suggests that you peel them maybe he does um in which case you should certainly try and get someone to peel them for you i'm sure that the king would have his own broad bean peeler of course uh, in attendance I mean it's a good use of broad beans as is things like broad bean hummus Mm. so it's just a you know it's a very sensible suggestion it's just basically saying why don't why don't you do a quiche and the fact is that most people are probably doing quiches anyway and as you say quiches are um, wonderful things I mean most people buy the buy a quiche but actually when you triumph when you when you manage to set custard in pastry it hasn't got a soggy bottom um it's as great a challenge and, and a triumph to a man as the birth of a newborn child. Yes. So I think it's it's a fantastic thing. We can be proud of it. And I think that uh, the king should be encouraging more men to show their manliness, to show how uh, sensible they are these days by making. Yes, by, by not only eating it, but actually making it because I, I consider myself
4: a reasonable cook, but I've never actually made a quiche. Um, and as you say, the, the,
3: the fear is that it would be soggy if you didn't get when, it right. Well, I have made about one quiche in my life. I I made a a, a rectangular quiche and I put strips of freshly uh, cut asparagus across it. Mm. And I have to say it was one of the greatest achievements of my life.
4: Wow. Um, Well, I may give it a go. See, I was saying this morning that I would quite like to add in something like Parma ham, which I know is not very British um, or possibly even some British ham because it would give it a certain flavour. Because if I do ever eat quiche, it tends to have something like that in it.
3: Yeah, I think that you know the key should be uh, you know a, a dish that you can put stuff alongside. I mean, I think we should approach these things in the same way that same way that the Spanish do. If you go to a good Spanish bar and order a plate of tomatoes, it comes covered in ham. So uh, I think that we should uh, embrace this and serve huge, great chunks of meat alongside it. Yes, so it's it's a crowd pleaser because it'll keep. If you know, if you want to use non-dairy to try and set your custard, actually, I don't advise that. Um, if you're a vegetarian, then this will keep you happy. If you're a meat eater, and you're you're producing this alongside a whole array of beautifully grilled, pink in the centre lamb chops, mm. then uh, it's it's a winner. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a great dish for sharing. It's a transportable dish. It's a dish you can take outdoors. Um, so it's it's just it reflects the common sense, non-controversial yes. attitude. Of our, of our monarch. And is there, is there
4: any um, sort of advice on whether it should be served hot or cold or, or, or lukewarm?
3: Does it matter? I like personally a quiche to, to, to be served sort of lukewarm. Mm. The idea of uh, you, you, if you've got one, you bring it out of the Argo and it remains slightly warm on the top of the Argo. Yeah. But otherwise it's perfectly decent cold. So I quite like to reheat a quiche just to give it a bit more life. Um, but um, otherwise, it's quite good. You, know, you, you can almost hold it like a canopy. you uh. know, so you can hold your glass of English sparkling wine, your yes. glass of, of Sussex. Um, uh, Don't mention uh, Sussexes. Uh, well, unfortunately, <laughs> Sussex produces some of the greatest... It the, does. The greatest use of the name Sussex is in relation to the wines of, uh, of uh, wineries like Rath Finney in yeah. Sussex, um, who, I mean... But that's a whole other issue. You know, they've got a big they're trying to work out what to call their wines. Right. Calling it Sussex would have been a great idea until uh, some other people rather ruin the <laughs> idea of that brand. Well, but that is the problem. Of, a glass of fizzy Sussex with uh, a big wedge of quiche. You know,
4: Very good. And what about if you are a vegetarian? Presumably you can't ha- have the recipe that includes the 25 grams of lard in the uh, in the pastry. But I used to make a lot of pastry. I
3: don't know whether you can substitute that successfully, can you? I think you can substitute it with butter. Right. So, um, you know, lard is quite an old school dish. I think this, the idea of using lard, I mean, I think lard is one of the most beautiful things on the planet. Yeah. Um, Lard on toast with a gherkin um, is a fantastic thing. It really whips the appetite for a glass of sherry. Mm. Uh, My mother uh, always had lard in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of our mothers used to, very few of us now, um, you know, trap the drippings from the beef Mm. in the oven. We just shove it down the drain to, to create fatbergs in our sewers. <laughs> yes, it is a
4: shame. Um, and so as far as the sort of um, the general <clears throat> well-being of the, of the country is concerned, do you think this will encourage a sort of a run on, on quiches that people will suddenly start making them all over the place?
3: I slightly feel it will make absolutely no difference at all. <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> How disappointing. I think, I think if, if the big suggestion is to do a quiche, um, most people are probably thinking, well, I was probably going to bring a quiche along anyway. Right. Um, I would love to think that um, it's going to create a run on um, pre-made pastry. Wouldn't that be a wonderful symbol of Pre-made pastry is mixed- a
4: great thing. I, 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 well, I, it, I, I, I very rarely waste my time now actually making it from scratch.
3: I wouldn't suggest anyone out there, to, if they haven't made pastry, to try and make pastry on the the morning of the king's coronation right. because it'll completely sour your day because if it's the first time, grown men as <laughs> uh, as fundamentally magnificent as yourself will be in tears. And that's not the way you want it's to true. start May the 6th. It's very true.
4: Now, your piece in The Telegraph today, we must touch upon as well because you've, like me, uh, you've become uh, slightly um, irritable about things like QR codes and online bookings. And the thing that really annoys me at the moment is when you get... Um, people telling you that you've made a booking, but you'll have to re, you know, relieve the table and give it back an hour and a half later
3: before you've even got there. Listen, there are so many things that seem to conspire to irritate one about hospitality, which is unusual given the fact that the word is hospitality. Yeah. And basically every touch point of a restaurant or a hotel booking should make you feel great about the brand. Right. So if you can't telephone to discuss your booking, um it create it irks me Mm. if you then are in the restaurant you can't uh peruse a menu without looking at your phone and connecting a qr to the website yeah if you can't then order food without using website and if then you know you're not allowed to do things like pour your own wine and you're given a restriction as to um when you need to leave this godforsaken place Uh, it is quite it is quite testing i understand restaurants that need to turn tables Mm. i think that Normally, they'll tell you in advance, and it's the sort of place that you probably can probably stuff yourself with three to four courses within an hour and a half. Yes. So I think if you turn up and they tell you that you need to get your backside out of there in an hour and a half, that that would be quite annoying. But what I do find, I mean, the worst thing is central reservation systems for hotels. So I I made the mistake of trying to phone um, a very decent brand of hotel called the Hotel duvat in Henley the other day. Yes. God forbid. Of course, there's not a phone number. You end up uh, ringing a central reservation number. And they when you say you want to speak to reception, they think you're kind of half mad. Right. So they think there's something wrong with you. And then by the time you actually get through to them, you have gone mad because the first, you know, they answer the telephone and you've lost all sense of diplomacy mm. and you just erupt. Yeah. And so you become mad. So it's a sort of self-fulfilling. And then you just that, don't and, want to have anything to do with them, do you? I mean,
4: I have that in yeah, restaurants. Yeah. I, my, my, my sort of patience runs out now more frequently than it used to. You know, and if you're waiting more, n- n- more than you need to be waiting for somebody to come and talk to you or bring you something or uh, even ask if you want another drink since your glass has been empty for 10 minutes, all of
3: that drives you insane. Yeah. And it all points to the fact that service is as important and sometimes more important than food. I think that great service can sometimes rescue a restaurant yeah. um, that has moderate food. Yeah, totally. Um, but a place with great food is destroyed by arrogant, tedious and lazy service. Yeah. I think that we really need to persuade people that, you know, the hospitality industry is a fantastic one to go into. And service is a, is a, you know, is a very noble profession, looking after people, caring for people and going up the, the hierarchy towards management of a restaurant is uh, is a fantastic, um, you know, uh, career. So uh, but I'm with you on this. I think that um, we need to ban a lot of these digital elements. I mean, there's there there is a there is a bar restaurant in Bristol Airport where you can only order a drink if you do it online, in spite of the fact there are people at the bar. So you find yourself in this sort of demonic situation where you're absolutely dying for a drink, but your principles forbid you from doing so. It's just a, it's a complete nightmare. It is. I'll, I'll
4: leave you with one thought. I, I stopped, I boycotted, in fact, a restaurant in Borough Market, which I'm not going to name, on the grounds that they couldn't make me a medium hamburger one day for lunch because apparently
3: Southwark council said it had to be medium well. That's right. It could have, it could have killed you. It could have done. But uh, You know, the danger zones, the dangerous things that can happen to us when we step... Foot into a restaurant whose job it is to serve us food and not kill us. Yes, thank God they were preserved from that. Yes, absolutely right, William. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, William Sitwell,
4: Telegraph's food critic. Uh, on the news that uh, the coronation quiche is a thing, uh, and you should definitely try and make one, but don't try and make the pastry because you'll screw it up. This is Talk TV.